0: Today, two special guests join us to talk about when it's a good time to surrender your ship and why pool noodles can be deadly. We also ask the question, can an old school
1: finger puzzle bring down the flagship of the Federation? Stick with us to find out. Welcome to the TNG Podcast, the number one place in the Alpha Quadrant to geek out about all things Star Trek The Next Generation. I am your co-host, Sharice. And
0: I'm Andrea. Cherise, today we are talking about season one, episode four, The Last Outpost. This episode was written by, and if you forgive me, Richard Kersmian and Herbert Wright, directed by Rich Cola, and the star date is 41386.4. And today, Cherise, we have some special treats. Uh, We have brothers Cameron and Spencer Rogers to be guests today, and I'm going to turn it right over to you guys. Thank you guys so, so much for being with us.
1: Hey, it's, yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having us. So one of the things we like to do with our guests is find out a little bit more about them and their history with Star Trek. So, you know, do you, are you guys like longtime fans of the show or is this kind of a new, a new love?
2: Spencer's a longtime fan. Like I'm, I'm kind of more like the, I conceptually like Star Trek as an idea. I Uh like the kind of utopic viewpoint but spencer is like my encyclopedic knowledge of like episodes <laughs> characters things like that and then i use him to like connect with 3d artists who like tng or, or just star trek in general because that's a really common thing in that scene
1: mm-hmm. i love that
3: yeah I, i've been i, I mean i like star trek when i was a kid i didn't really get into it until college mm-hmm. and then like, pirated all of the seasons of every Star Trek ever made and, you know, every movie and Mm kind of sat and binge-watched the entire Star Trek universe. Um, And then ever since then, have been (laughs) been hooked on it.
2: Yeah, what we had, it was, I was just gonna say, it was on at our grandparents' house all the time when we were growing up. And, like, they weren't, like, watching it the way that we would all watch it. They were watching it the way that, like, people casually could watch Star Trek. So episodes would like run, and our grandmother would try to contextualize like where this was happening in the world. Mm-hmm. And we would just be kids that were like, oh yeah, I, I don't know what any of that means, but okay. Like, <laughs> you keep explaining to me what this character is. <laughs>
1: yeah, so Andrea and I talked about that a little bit on uh, for the first episode of season one, which is called Encounter at Farpoint Station. We were just like, because we both got into it as kids as well. Mm -hmm. And I was just reflecting, like, how in the world as a kid did I understand anything that was going on? And I think I solved it. I'm pretty sure I started watching it in season two, the way I always rewatch it now, how I always go back to season two. Because season one is just like, not super kid friendly you're like what is going on yeah um it's, so I,
0: I'm I'm watching it I'm re-watching it for this podcast and it's not super adult friendly either <laughs> it's just not a yeah, great season maybe it's
1: not season one's not that friendly um last question before we get into this episode who is your favorite character if you have one
2: I'm a, I'm like a Gordy fan. Like I, you know, I just, I love reading rainbow. And so So, it's hard for me to not. Yeah. Jordy. Sorry. Did
0: you just call him Gordy? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) We, you know what, let's just go ahead and zoom. Like just, we're going to hang up on zoom immediately. (laughs) I'm like always like,
2: it's okay.
1: It's okay. We'll forgive it, you. Like, like if,
2: if you have me on any other podcast about sitcoms, you'll be like, oh my God, this guy has watched so much television. What is wrong with his... <laughs> like life? an unhealthy amount. Yeah, it's like, okay, how has a 30-year-old guy seen all of MASH yeah. and all
1: of so
2: <laughs> I, I apologize.
1: You know what? You're going to stay on the phone
0: after the rest of everybody else hangs up, and we're just going to talk Golden Girls, so... <laughs> oh, I, 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 I can do that.
1: <laughs> he can. He can, too. Golden Girls, Pointing. <laughs> All right, so Jordy, you're a big Jordy fan because he's awesome. Okay. Wait,
0: was it the visor or was it just Jordy because it's he was The visor and LeVar Burton
2: as Reading Rainbow. I mean, Reading Rainbow was like everything. everything. Yeah, so like it's hard to look past a cool ass visor and yep. Reading Rainbow,
3: you know. Agreed, agreed. Spence. Uh, you know, it's a it's a toss up. There's a few of them. Um I mean, Picard, obviously, is, is like, high up on the list. He's um, cheating.
0: Who doesn't love him?
3: Only monsters. I'm, like, I'm dropping his name right now, but the the commander of Deep Space Nine.
1: Yeah, I don't know. No,
3: I gotta look it up at some point here. Um, but, uh... Uh he was always one of my I f- I don't know I really liked Deep Space Nine because it really got into all the like nuts and bolts of like the political structure of everything going on. Hundred
1: percent. Yeah, was I really that.
3: boring, but it created a whole lot of drama that you could follow and you know it was a lot yeah. of fun. Yeah.
1: And it was interesting um, because the Deep Space Nine was not a spaceship traveling. The galaxy, like all of the other shows, problems
0: were coming to them. Yeah, they were just—they
1: were a space station. They don't move. They don't leave. And people just show up, and then people leave. And so that was more, I guess, a little more sitcommy in that way. That it's like a home base that people kind of come in and out of. Um, so that was actually kind of a different type of a show, right?
3: Yeah, but I've been—I've been really interested watching going back and watching the old ones. It might have even been Cameron that had said this a while that he was—he was pointing out that it's interesting to see. How, like, early Star Trek, the, the society is super utopic um, and everything is great and perfect. And they could, like, Gene Roddenberry could envision this and thought it was, you know, thought it was something that people could understand. And as the Star Trek universe has co- continued on, we've all become so cynical now that we can't possibly believe that the human race would get that. So all I the new know. Star Treks, there's always like some big corrupt government thing. You know, somebody is overturning everything and destroying, okay, because we all just can't deal with the idea of of coming Of people,
0: of people like, coming together and, yeah, like, overcoming yeah. differences.
3: Yeah, but it makes me miss these early ones where there's, like, there's this hope, hope that we're gonna, we're gonna figure it out. We're gonna, like, find that perfect. And this, this was a great is a great example of that too, because they're being, te- you know, they're testing humanity, um, and right, you know, that like Riker's whole thing comes down to like the test is whether or not you give into fear or like can hold your composure in the in the face of you know disaster, and you know that it's like yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you you obviously did not watch the super racist episode like two episodes before this one,
1: <laughs> or the super racist episode that's going to be like two episodes after this one. But that's okay. <laughs> that's okay because the the idea of a utopic Starfleet is there. But I think all the other non Starfleet aliens are like brutal savages who need to be tamed. I mean that that's like my issue with the Ferengi. Yeah, absolutely. This actually this episode really shows it too. Look at look, look at the Ferengi.
3: You know, they're supposed to be a hyper greedy, greedy race that's focused only on money. They have giant noses and giant ears. Thank and you. brown skin. It's like, Thank it's
2: you. like, like it's, it's racism in a character. Like, oh yeah, this is every caricature we've ever done.
1: We're going to dig into that because we need to talk a little bit more about that. Before we do, let's have Andrea read in our episode so everybody else can catch up on what we're talking about.
0: All right, so the plot for this episode is that the Enterprise is in pursuit of a Ferengi vessel, which has stolen an energy converter from an unmanned Federation outpost. As the chase passes the planet Delphi Ardu 4, both ships suffer power drains, causing them to come to a halt. Each crew initially believes the power drain is caused by the other vessel, but Picard realizes that the Ferengi are as confused as they are and orders the crew to investigate the planet. All right, so before we get too far into to the episode. Um Cam, you mentioned that Jordy is um, or is your favorite character and I have some like really cool little like deep dive information that I found about him as a character. So, when they were casting the show in like 86, 87, Lavar Burton was the biggest star of the entire cast at the time. So, this was like a huge get actually like for the show to be like, "Oh, yeah, we got Lavar Burton." Yeah, roots, he was like
2: such a big It like changed the media landscape. So it really makes sense, you know, for, and it was such a big diversion. It wasn't just, you know, this historical thing. It was now like, he's in a sci-fi thing.
0: Yeah. So now he's like crossing over like these different boundaries. The other really cool, there's a couple cool things. So a number of famous actors auditioned to be Geordie LaForge, including Wesley Snipes, (laughs) which I had like never can you imagine Wesley, Sli- Wesley Snipes of Blade? <laughs> like, I just,
3: dude, I want to see that audition reel.
1: <laughs> it was probably I, I, epic. So I love hearing when actors tried out for roles yeah. that didn't work out because you're just like, I mean, you could just see him slaying vampires and aliens all on the bridge and stuff. Like, right. that's crazy. And, you know, Brent Spiner, who plays Data, originally tried out for the role of Riker. I could see that. So
0: a lot of characters, so what I'm learning upon like finding out more about these characters is that so many people audition for like an actor will go in like the sound of a show and audition for like four or five different characters and they'll kind of pick from there. So a number of people um, audition to be Geordi, a number of people audition to be Captain Picard and Data and I'll get into that. So a really interesting tidbit that I like loved learning about Geordi is that in creating this Geordi LaForge character, Um, There was a real life super fan of the original Star Trek series, his name was George LaForge, and he was a quadriplegic and unfortunately passed away before um, TNG came out. And Gene Roddenberry really like loved that and took that to heart. So he basically created a like a physically like disabled character that basically had like that name, George the Forge, but just tweaked a little bit to Geordie. So it was very important to Gene Roddenberry that Geordie be born blind and just like, and have this visor, but he had some sort of like physical, like disability. Um, That's awesome. With, yeah. Which I was like, wow, that like gave me a lot of feels, like reading that, like seeing how like he, t- he just took that to heart and created this character that like so many people love.
1: And really turned it to, it wasn't, it wasn't a physical disability. It was a physical ability that he had yeah. that was different from everyone else's because it wasn't like he was blind and could see nothing and could only yeah. braille on the ship or something, right? It was like he was born blind, so therefore he had this visor that helped him see like infrared and yeah, energy waves and all kinds of crazy like superhero stuff. Yeah, he's like a tricorder.
3: Yeah, spoiler, you get to see the world through Jordy's eyes in a few episodes. I yeah, you
0: do. You do. And it's it, it's actually really interesting the way that they do that with like the different colors and you start to see it like, holy cow, is this how you actually see the yeah. So LeVar Burton, which I think is funny. So the character of Geordie was born blind and was able to see with this visor. But LeVar Burton, who is a seeing actor, was basically rendered blind by putting the visor on, <laughs> which is like ironic and terrible. So they basically took the pinnacle of 80s fashion, the banana clip, and attached it to his head. And it had to have like blinders on the inside so you couldn't see through it you know, as, as a viewer. And so LeVar was like tripping all over cables and bumping into cameras and stuff. Like he just couldn't see anything ever. Um, and then in season two, way fun, they made it like this much heavier, like more sturdy thing that had to be screwed into the side of his head. So he had like a migraine for like 13 years or nine years or whatever, <laughs> like wearing this thing. Yeah, they, they basically put these little like panels on and then screwed the visor into the panels, which is just like, oh, poor LeVar. <laughs> like, all right. So anyway, back to this episode. So the overall idea of meeting like a relic of an old civilization is so cool. I think they did a terrible job yes. <laughs> like executing that. It's so bad. It's so cheesy. But when you think about like what the big ideas, it's like, oh, cool. We're going to like find this like relic of a civilization that's already died out, but like a part of its consciousness is like still here. And like, you can interact with it. Like that's super dope. And you guys botched it so badly. Like, it's
1: so bad. Okay, I want to hear your thoughts on the Ferengi. But before we do that, I just have to say, in our last episode, I was complaining about the racism level, about how the, the aliens were really just African Americans, or maybe they were supposed to be African, but they were like, dressed Arabian, I don't know. And they just had scars on their faces. And that was their alien look. And I just was like, you can't even make them look like aliens. Like there's no effort in that. However, I will say with the Ferengi, they look like legit aliens. Like they did make them yeah, look they different. Yeah. They don't just look like regular people with like a scar on their eyebrow or something lame. Like they look like complete different otherworldly beings. So I was like, I still felt that racism vibe coming through, but it at least it didn't look like a, a people group that I'm very familiar with.
2: Yeah. If anything. It's more like Nazi-level propaganda of, like, hybridizing. <laughs> Thank you! You know, it's Thank like, like, like I, I see, like, every crazy, like, element of, like, blackface, anti-Semitism. It's
0: like, <laughs> we're just gonna, like, hate everybody. And then, yeah. like, and then, like... Yes! It's <laughs> so bad! I mean, and you're only concerned with, like, money and gold and commerce and trade. Yeah. Like, could you be more anti-Semitic? And, and like one of the other
2: funny aspects from like a modern perspective is that they're also like incels, essentially. Like by like, yeah. you know, like, like it's yeah. like, they icon. are females. Yeah. Yes. E-mails. It's like, oh my God, like this is like, this is like. A problem now and a problem then.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this, is the, this is the problem that just keeps on giving. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like
2: like we, we we really want to keep unpacking
0: this. Okay. Like <laughs> <laughs> Yes. And they're just painful. And
1: they jump around like apes. So that was Yes. It's like they just jump. Yeah, it's they it's stopped like doing painful. that. They 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 stopped doing that. They had the Ferengue on a few more times in this in this the TNG world and then they became a thing in uh, Deep Space Nine, but thankfully they stopped the whole monkey jumping way that they walk and they just started walking like regular people.
3: It really the character, or the species. I don't know, I thought somebody, somebody once told me that all of the the species, other than humans of course, but all of the other species are supposed to represent some piece of the, what Roddenberry saw as the human condition. So like the Ferengis are supposed to be huh, like, kind interesting. of licensed. They're their right. greed and gluttony and all, you know, all of the just excess, right, right of humanity, um, which I guess makes their their design a little bit worse. Um, but, uh, you know, the,
2: <laughs> A lot the, of it worse. The Klingons are
3: our, you know, <laughs> our, our fighting spirit and, you know, all that kind of stuff. The, the Vulcans are our logic and, you know... Um, yeah.
0: I never actually thought of that. Okay, so this is the first time we ever hear of the Ferengi or meet the Ferengi, Um, Gene Roddenberry had relied very heavily on the, in the original series on the Vulcans and the Klingons as the main antagonists. And in writing this show, he said, I don't want any Klingons and I don't want any Vulcans, which obviously that rule was broken because we have Worf who's a Klingon and we see Klingons later, but this was his like first alien race that we meet in Next Generation. And,
1: show sure was would. meant to be a, a stay-around alien race, right? Because yes. we've seen several yes. alien races come and go so far.
2: Well, yeah, and it, it builds it out a lot more, too. Like, that's the thing, is that if you're only seeing two kind of consistent races, it's like, is this universe really as big as you're implying? So kind of filtering in more, you know, builds out that perception, I think, better.
3: Well, I mean, and a lot of the drive, a lot of the plot drive from... uh, uh original series is about discovering the Klingons and what they're all about and learning about that species. So he kind of needed a new one too for, you know, and the Ferengi end up being a big piece of that in, in uh, next
0: generation. Mm -hmm. They do do make more of an appearance, I think, in Deep Space Nine. I don't know off the top of my head, but I know that they're only in like a handful of TNG episodes because the producers couldn't quite find like a niche for them to like fill without being just like too comedic and like ridiculous, which they very obviously are in this episode. They're like unwatchably Mm -hmm. bad. Mm-hmm. At least for me, like I kept looking at the timestamp, being like, oh, there's like 25 more minutes of this. Like this is so yeah. hard. I mean, I
2: think that's where I struggle with it is that like like there's a lot of parts of this episode that lack subtlety on a pretty intense level. And with <laughs> yeah. the, I mean, and even with like Riker and like 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 the posing of them versus Riker in that situation where they're both just on these opposite ends of a teeter-totter that like doesn't really make sense. Like you don't. End up walking away being like, wow, Riker was a really uh, stand-up guy. Cause yeah. you're like, well, his opposition is clearly this like insane, like self-centered, like monkey creature thing that's like weirdly uncomfortable in every way, shape, and form. Why, why is that?
0: <laughs> we don't like we don't like them, but they are they set the
3: bar real low there.
0: Yeah, <laughs> they yeah. did. Well, yeah. also, also, I just could not help but think how bad the halitosis must've been on those Ferengi. Cause they're like, <laughs> like mouth breathing <laughs> everywhere. And I thought yeah. as an actor, it's like, you're probably like, please, you know, please pack like extra sticks of gum or something before you have to shoot these scenes and like be breathing all over someone's face. Like, it's just, I, I think that they're designed to be like repugnant, which they bring that across very well. But yeah, there's so one note, like they lack like the, um, the Romulans, like, I love when we see Romulans in TNG because they are supposed to be the bad guy, but they have kind of logic on their side, but not mm-hmm. always. And they're more so, mm-hmm. like, they're more they're more multifaceted. Like, the right. Ferengi are just awful, greedy,
1: right. ch- monkey,
0: like, or, or sorry, like, chimpanzee type. Like, it's mm-hmm. just it's just problematic all around.
1: Yeah, I think the Romulans and the Cardassians and stuff, they make better villains. They make better, they're more round, well-rounded villains and they make a good adversary. Ferengis are not really an opponent. They're like a mosquito right they're like buzzing around you're like get out of here and we're <laughs> yeah. They, yeah so i think it's just like a different type of alien
0: that's i suppose that's true cuz when you think about like the really scary villain of tng which is the borg they're yeah. terrifying
1: like yeah. to this yes. day
0: they're still terrifying
1: they're still right? scary they, they definitely don't, stand the test of time they
0: yeah they don't follow logic or reason you can't you can't like argue with them like and so when you think of the borg versus the ferengi you're like Oh, you guys are just annoying. Yeah. <laughs> You're just kind of a
2: pest. I, and I think my, like, the way I would have liked to see, you know, when they, when they introduce the Ferengi in the show, you know, and they use that, like, I, I think it's such a ham job when they're like the Yankee traitor kind of component. Yes. You know, uh, like, when they start introducing them, there's kind of this, like, mystery about them like like you're kind of expecting to kind of encounter this like roguish group that that maybe isn't representing themselves entirely at face value you know there's probably like another double cross in here somewhere mm-hmm. and so i think that's the letdown with them is that like you're expecting like some kind of cunning double cross mm, like from sophistication this.
1: but instead it's just like a childhood prank right they show up <laughs> and they just shoot them there was no cunning there was no secret There was just like Hey, we beam down. Where is everybody? Blah! And they just get, yeah, they just get shot with laser pool noodles, which was our first time seeing an alien weapon on the show. We don't see a lot of alien weaponry in the Star Trek universe in general. Like we do see some Romulan disruptors in Voyager um, and maybe some space battles, but we usually don't see alien like weaponry at all or alien scanning equipment or any of that. Huh. It was our first time seeing an alien weapon and it's a pool noodle. And I thought that was awesome. And they never bring them back. But they just have these cool little like pool noodles that where you just like whip it and boom, it zaps electricity <laughs> at people. I was like, okay, that's neat. I like that electric pool noodle. That's kind of cool. But um, don't go swimming with it.
3: And it's it's the most alien of the alien weapons that show up. I mean, like the bat lith is a little bit, it's a little bit weird. But the sword, you
0: know, <laughs> like yeah. And disruptors, metal. disruptors are guns. Yeah, it's like, yeah. you're right. This is like a whip, yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah. This is like a weird, weird one.
0: Okay. Well, let me let me steer us back towards the episode because then we're going to start getting super duper meta. <laughs> at this point in the episode, you know, they are chasing down the Ferengi. They've gotten near this planet and both of the ships have lost power. And one of the things that Picard does immediately is basically asking the Ferengi for terms of surrender, which really bothered me because in the first episode, Encounter at Farpoint, they meet Q for the first time and then immediately freaking surrender. <laughs> it's like, wait, wait a second. Uh, Picard, like, we learn more about him in, like, subsequent seasons, and he's not the surrendery type, but in mm-hmm. four episodes, he's already tried to surrender twice. <laughs> it's like, should we have given you this starship? Like, yeah. do you know how much this ship costs? Like,
1: how many lives? Like, wait, no, you don't just give it up. They juxtapose that with, um, Tasha Yar and Worf, who Andrea pointed out off camera was basically the same character.
0: Um, as far as
1: their response to things, Tashi Yar and Worf are like the same. Yeah. They're um, like, we'll
0: just fight. We'll just fight. Just fight, to fight.
1: Yeah. So I think they're like, they're trying to counter, they're trying to show his like democratic, you know, side or something contrasted with their, like, let's just fight. Cause in encounter and Farpoint point station and in this as well, it's always like, let's just fire everything we have. Let's just fire all of our weapons. I think that's going to solve this the the problem. time. Right. At the same time. And then Picard's always like, and what's that going to accomplish? Like we're gonna have no weapons and we're gonna die. Like we need another, we need another way. So I think part of that That's is true. the diplomatic side of him that they're trying to show, but it does come off kind of like a little, a little passive. Because I will say in in Voyager with Captain Janeway, she's quick to self destruct her ship, like in a <laughs> in a heartbeat. She's all about saving her crew, but let somebody get on the ship and try to take it over, and she'll be like, you know what, self destruct, Janeway Alpha Pi, ten seconds. And she'll be like, let's <laughs> do it. You want this ship? You're gonna have it in pieces. She so comes ready I, to rumble. Yeah, she she's always like. We won't even fight. We'll just <laughs> blow ourselves up. You're not getting our ship. And Picard <laughs> never does that. He never self-destructs the ship. Never.
3: <laughs> he's willing to a few times, though. I mean, he's, he's pretty... He's there, There's a couple of times that he's willing to take it to that level if he has to. I don't know. I think, Picard, it's interesting because they set it up early on with him making a point to comment how, how uncomfortable he is around kids and right. family and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So I think, I think part of it is, early on especially, he's so used to being being on a you know a ship that everybody there is Starfleet and they've mm-hmm. all signed on to this and have agreed you know like yeah I'm gonna
1: I yeah. accept there's a
3: risk I'm gonna die here mm-hmm. um, but now he's on a ship that has family on it and in the first episode he makes a point to say that in that first um, in that first uh, uh, report um, and point out this is the first time I've been on a ship that actually has a family that ha- has families on it and so he's now suddenly like, Oh oh God, if I, if I charge in guns blaring, then I might get a bunch of kids killed, you know? And that's why he doesn't want kids on the bridge or anything like that. That's a reminder to him of what's on the line right now, you know? And I so think that's actually,
0: that's actually a really legit point because yeah, you're right. Like it's not a battleship where you're just like, we came to play and let's, let's do this. This is a, like, we have 1000 plus people on the ship and a bunch of them are kids, so I guess the surrender does make sense. I do think it's pretty funny, like the way that they wrote that gambit playing out where he's like, we're prepared to accept your terms or we want to hear your terms. And the friend, you're like, no, we're not going to surrender ever. It's like, wait, did you think, yeah. did I think we got, oh, we were all, we were both trying to surrender to each other. Like, whoopsie. <laughs>
2: yeah. It, it feels like a sitcom, like level, like, yeah. oh, okay. Like the old switcher. Well. <laughs> as like as like a first time kind of watcher in this scenario, like the funniest thing about it is that it's like, like the lead up to conflict feels so like devoid of actual conflict, mm-hmm. like like you know, and I mean, they're not hamming it up either, you know. Like every time they get hit, it's caught by the shield, so you, you don't they don't move at all. There's like no response, but like yeah. you're looking at it from like a tension point of view, like as a first time watcher, it's kind of like wow, not a lot is actually happening here, but I'm being mm-hmm. told a lot's happening, and they're <laughs> free. <laughs> so, like, that's why it's a little hard for me at, at times.
3: I'm like, okay, like, I need a little bit more tonal push, you know? I don't know. I'm thinking about it a little bit, too, with this one. He doesn't surrender right away, actually. He calls them up first and brings and talks to them about that they've, that they've stolen this thing and they need to return it. And They don't respond, and it's not until Deanna turns to him and you know, and they're saying, Well, why don't we try and contact him again? and he says, You know, they're not responding, to, we've tried that, they're not responding to us. And she says, Well, you haven't told them anything they want to hear, and That's so then true. He's turning around well, and saying, yeah. Let's negotiate,
0: you so know. So, I am, I am not on average a big fan of Deanna Troy's character. Um, I think she's she's pretty one note in season one. I actually. Uh-huh grow to really like her as a character a lot because there's a lot of growth like on her end and like an expansion of her role. Um, But Charisse and I often joke that like she doesn't really do anything of value in the first season, but she is the only one who goes, you know, in only paying attention attention to each other, we've sort of ignored what's going on in the planet or on the planet. And like, we might need to investigate that further. And then Picard goes, oh Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, let's see, you know, and it turns out the whole problem is on the planet, which Mm -hmm. um, before we get to the planet, though, can we talk about Data and the Chinese finger trap? Like I, oh, (laughs) I still die laughing over that.
1: Yeah, I was like, oh, come on. So you as you guys know, (laughs) listeners, Data is my favorite character um, and all the characters are still being developed because it's season one. So none of them are super awesome yet. But in that scene, I'm just like, now I know good and well Data can pick up a freaking shuttlecraft with one hand. Why (laughs) can he not? just rip open rip. this Chinese finger trap i mean he's trying to not
3: break it you know because he knows there's got to be a tr- you know he knows he's that's, that's in a meeting
1: with his history. but he is in a meeting with his superiors with his fingers stuck in a trap and instead of just breaking it and having the meeting he's like getting distracted and can't follow his train of thought and he can't even <laughs> complete the conversation because his fingers are just so stuck i was like <laughs> if anybody else did this, like I would maybe buy it, but also I'd be like, Really? But data of all people. I'm like also, also, those uniforms
0: don't have any pockets. Where the hell did you get a finger trap from? Did you bring it in from another room to be like, let me just bring this toy in with me? Well, to he's a already meeting? stuck
3: when he comes in the room. He's already stuck when he comes in the room. Um, oh, is he? <laughs> so he was playing with this thing and then got called into a meeting and was like, ah.
1: What do I do? Oh, no. What do I do? I guess I'll just go in the meeting. Maybe if I just yeah, keep I my know, fingers you're, under you're the table, point. nobody will notice. But he didn't. He didn't put his fingers under the table.
0: He's doing this. I've been told the rules of this game are that he's <laughs> got to get his fingers out without
3: breaking the thing, right? And now the other rule that's popped in is I've got to go to a meeting. So <laughs> the solution that breaks neither of those rules technically is going to the meeting with the things on your finger still and trying to figure <laughs> it out now. And it's been set up that this is a shit that those kind of shenanigans, they get away with. I mean, think about the end of the the, the very last shot of the episode is them saying, like, let's go. And Jordy's like, oh. Uh.
0: Okay, this, this to me is very problematic. Like, I could see maybe you have your finger stuck in a finger trap. I, I can't even believe we're having this conversation. <laughs> and you go to a meeting. And you try to like subtly get your fingers out of there. But you are literally on duty, Jordy, (laughs) steering a multi, probably quadrillion dollar ship, which needs fingers. And you're sitting there playing on duty. How did you not get demoted right then and there? Because he had
1: no pockets.
0: He couldn't hide it. No,
2: he's knee wheeling it.
0: I loved that moment. I did. That made me like his face was like, like he was starting to get a little flustered and like I still yesterday I watched this episode yesterday for our recording today and I was still dying laughing I thought it was the funniest freaking thing
2: well and also he has this encyclopedic knowledge of alien cultures from you know that that humanity has never come in contact with but like Mm -hmm. there's nothing in his brain that's like oh yeah like but like I know about this yeah I know about Outpost that we've never come into contact with, but no, this thing was
3: That would to know Data's creator. You know.
0: That's true. Yeah, maybe he just, maybe it wasn't, maybe it was called yeah. a Japanese finger trap in Data's uh, processing
1: unit, and he just couldn't, he, he didn't have the keyboard. So. <laughs> oh, God, that killed me. Can we, can we talk about, just like, big picture, can we talk about our feelings about what's going on in the planet versus what's going on in the ship? Because while they're on the planet trying to figure out whatever's going on, they're being shot by per- Ferengi pool noodles and whatever up on the ship. We have the power being drained more and more and more. And everyone is slowly dying. Like That's life true. Support Is failing. And, and that entire
2: situation, like I feel like the way it escalates so much off screen while they're on the planet really makes that like, I don't know, once again, we're going back to tonal shift where it just like, like where he's talking about dying. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You guys really haven't been in that level of the picture yet. You just kind of gave like a journal entry to
0: put us here. And now it's like, yeah,
2: it's, it's coming at us a little too hot and fast. And, yeah.
0: that moment and, and honestly, like, oh. what we see is you guys just handing out blankets to people because it's getting cold. <laughs> Suddenly
1: everybody's dying. It's like, yeah. and yeah. now you're dying. <laughs> and actually, to Cam's point of the tonal shifts, we've seen this in previous episodes leading up to this, where like with the... um with the code of honor, for example, when they are trying to um, get this special vaccine for this planet that has this pandemic going on, um, it's the same thing. We're like, they're having this foxy boxy battle on the planet where on this other planet, everyone's just dying by the millions, right? Just droves are just dying. And like these few episodes, they're trying to really hype up the drama by saying, whatever's going on is really important because if they don't succeed, people are gonna die. And not just one person but like the whole planet the whole or like yeah, the whole exactly. ship or like the whole universe. They're doing this, these big sweeps of like mass destruction as a subplot, <laughs> which um, was kind of a thing in the beginning. I think they, they, they kind of come out of that and make it a little more smooth moving yeah, forward. Cause they're not good at anchoring that too well. We're like, like it ups the stakes just too
2: much,
0: I think too quickly. And you're just not
2: brought there. It doesn't.
0: Know? Yeah. It doesn't give us the opportunity to sort of arrive there on our, own or be like guided there we're just kind of yanked to that position and be like oh suddenly everybody's dying okay no oxygen yeah. to die right now sorry there's no
1: oxygen there's no <laughs> and you're like come on people on the planet like stop fighting with ferengi figure it out because everyone up there is dying yeah. well so so we're back on the planet the the crystals are doing their thing and then we see
0: what basically looks like face wizard <laughs> 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 so we see this dude with like just the worst makeup and hair and oh god and he ends up he basically ends up being this like destroyer of worlds and then Riker answers his riddle correctly and suddenly he's like walk with me my boy let's talk what? about this. like what wait a second what are you talking about like and he even said like in his little chat with Riker as they were strolling through the park like I like I would have naturally like have destroyed both of your ships just
1: well he said he was going to blow them up because they were fighting he was like when I saw you guys fighting I was just gonna blow you both up I saw you guys bickering with each other I was just gonna like ah let's just end it because you guys are not like you guys are savages basically right it was back to that whole savages scene and then he was telling Riker but now that I've looked into your mind and read your thoughts I can tell that you're not a savage unlike these Ferengi yeah
2: exactly (laughs) so like yeah unpacking that racism thing it totally felt like like these little guys, no, they're, they're doing it the wrong way. Like, when mm-hmm. I kill you, it's it's the right
3: way.
1: <laughs> 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 yeah, and then can we say just one more thing that annoyed me about the Ferengi that kind of annoys me because they keep this up for a while um, is like the way that the Ferengi speak where they're kind of like, hello, human. You know, like they have this really thick accent. And I'm like, they're the only aliens with an accent. Everyone else speaks perfect English because of the universal translator. Everybody speaks perfect English. That's true. The translator means you have no accent. (laughs) Like everybody speaks perfect English. Everyone sounds perfect to everybody else. So I was like, why are they speaking this like broken English type of thing? Like Ferengi learned actual English. But why? Because even the people in the Federation don't all speak English. That's the point of the universal translator. Is
3: traders they want to be able to talk to as many different species as they can.
0: I don't know. I don't actually know this. I'm I'm willing. I'm willing. I'm willing yeah. to put it out there. I just feel bad for the Ferengi because they're so stupid. <laughs> aliens, they just suck. Yeah. They just suck in general. So you know what? Maybe they did learn English because they are traders, and their existence depends on that. Yeah. to communicate. So maybe
1: I will say they developed Ferengi a lot better throughout the Star Trek universe because by yes. the end of Ferengi, like by the time we get to DS Nine, by the time we have Quark, who shows up, who actually is in this episode, by the way, his name is LeTech, but he is Quark, exactly. like the the super famous, the one famous Ferengi um, that shows up later on. I do like those Ferengi. I think they're funny. I think they're interesting. They always add something spicy to the mix. Like yeah. they develop them into a character that's really fun. Um, They're just not there yet. Just like all of the characters are still getting their sea legs.
0: They really pumped up like the subtlety, which I really like it. It wasn't mm-hmm. so black and white and so in your face. And I think it's more true to life. Like when you meet, new groups of people or you, you have different interpersonal relationships. It's not always Mm -hmm. just in your face and black and white, like it's multifaceted. And I actually really, really like that in later seasons or past season one. And I'm sorry that the reason that there was that shift in the show is because Gene Roddenberry became ill and had to like step back. But I think Mm -hmm. it made the show endlessly better because it was like, he was really trying to like force this idea of like this utopian society, but, Mm -hmm. people are more nuanced than that. And it became, a lot of episodes Mm -hmm. became really like cartoonish almost in their like attempt to like ram this like lesson down your throat. Well, guys, I feel like, I feel like we kind of got to the end. I mean, like power is restored. Everybody's fine. And we are, we've lived to make it to another mission, which thank God, because this was not one of our good (laughs) ones. (laughs) on,
2: On our closing notes, can I also say thematically, the weirdest part about it is like I think Star Trek does a good job of defining, like, what kind of conflicts are happening. And in this episode, there's, like, a lot of conflicts that aren't really well explained or Mm -hmm. explored. And, like, even when you get to the planet, like they're trying to make it this scientific explanation, but then magically this space wizard also (laughs) controls the planet. (laughs) So like, like I think that's like a really solid example of this episode's like very muddled idea of conflict and how to even, how to approach it and then how to resolve it in a meaningful way. Mm -hmm. So I don't know.
0: This, you know, this reminds me of like, when kids want different things for dinner and mom or dad (laughs) tries to make like, ham sandwiches and lasagna and spaghetti meatballs and soup. And it's just, everybody gets something different yeah. and it's none of them are actually that great because they're not fully fleshed out like ideas. It's so, like you guys tried maybe a few too many things and like, what you know, there's 25, there's 25 episodes in season one. You guys got the contract for 25 seasons. Like maybe, maybe tease some of those ideas out a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need the chase
2: episode, the, the, Standoff episode. <laughs> that, like, like, it's like they're like, no, we got to cover this list. If We don't do this episode. We're not going to hit every every one of these topics. If we don't do it, time, it now. We'll so
1: never season. do
0: it. I love that. Yeah, you can't, you can't get it all, I guess. Well, on that note, I'm going to put the stamp of approval or maybe disapproval on this episode and say, we did it. (laughs) We made it to the end, which I got to tell you, watching this episode last night, I was like, oh, how many more minutes are there until this is over? (laughs) This is so bad. Netflix is like, are you still watching? And I'm like, barely. barely."
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, me too. And at the end, when the space wizard came, I was just like, wait, what? (laughs) So yeah, when it was finished, I was just like, oh, I don't, just just like, let's just stop this.
0: Next week, we are going to be reviewing one of my favorite episodes of season one, which is where no one has gone before. I have so much love for that episode. So if you feel I was a little down on this
1: episode, take heart because next week, I've got nothing but love <laughs> for that one. Thank you so much, Spencer and Cameron, for being on our show. We really appreciate that you came to geek out with us today.
2: Oh yeah, it was our pleasure. Thanks, Dad. Thanks for having us
1: thanks for geeking out with us. Be sure to join the crew at the TNGpodcast.com to be the first to know when we do our live shows or host events exclusively for our members. We'll see you next time.